You can grab a seat. Well, we thank you guys for uh, joining us as uh, we continue our series this morning called The Gathered Church. And uh, so we're in a series of what it means to be the church. What is it that the church practices? What is it that we do when we gather? And I want to just kind of start this morning with a, a brief announcement about our gathering. And one of the things that we talk about is if we're going to be a gathered church, we have to wonder where is it that we actually gather? And uh, if you've been with us any length of time, uh, particularly in the last few years, uh, you've recognized that if there's any characteristic that mimics the early church, it's that we are a church on the move. We are constantly going somewhere else. And, uh, and that's proven true once again, all right? And so, if you're here, um, there's some excitement with that. There's some, oh, really, again? And uh, I'm hoping and praying and trusting, uh, as I have bragged on you over the past several years, of going, our people have been flexible. Our people have moved with us. We have transitioned from downtown out to Murray and downtown and then out to Murray and we've been all over in different places in movie theaters in schools in parks and you guys have been resilient and you guys have journeyed with us throughout that process and we praise you for that and uh, and so in this next move as we are anticipating where we're headed this is a, a a place where we're posturing and where we are positioned as a church financially is that we're looking something for the next three to five years something that we can land that is going to be long term so we ask you to just pray for us in that pray uh, that there would be even some type of partnership or some type of long-term solution uh, we're looking all over anywhere from murray to downtown and so if you have ideas, um, and we would love to hear those. And uh, we do have some options available to us, and, uh, and we're praying through those and seeking uh, what might be the best fit. But we're asking you to pray alongside us in that. And uh, we believe this is a great opportunity. It's been our desire over the last several years to position us somewhere in the city where we can be long-term, uh, that we can really have a, a tangible difference in outreach within that pocket of the city. And so uh, we just ask for your prayers in that. Um, we're not, they're not closing the doors on us here. Uh, this just isn't proven to be a viable option long term. And so uh, we have time to journey and we'll kind of keep you up to speed on that as we go. Uh, but I want to pray for us in that this morning. And uh, our God is a great provider and he cares about the needs of his children. And so I want to pray for us this morning and uh, ask that God would do just that. So let's pray. Father, we do come to you as a needy people. And Lord, we understand and are fully aware that there's nothing that happens outside of your providential hand. And so, Lord, we ask for guidance. We ask for wisdom. We ask for direction. There is purpose in why you're having us move and, and why we're, we're transitioning all over across our city. And in many ways, there's, there's people that we've picked up that have joined our church family along the way, and that, that's a blessing. 
I, I think back last year of just being in the park of people who joined us even from the farmer's market there and who are still a part of our church. And so we thank you for how you've positioned us. We thank you for the journey we've been on. And while we long to be in a place long term and, and really have a presence somewhere, uh, Lord, that hasn't been our story. And so uh, we trust you with that. And, and, and we just ask, Lord, that, that you would provide for the future. Lord, we thank you that you care about our needs, that you, you care about uh, how it is that, that we go about ministry across the city. And so we just lean upon you. We look to you for wisdom and direction and guidance, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to lead us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this morning, we are on the topic of church membership, and to some, that's a, a bad word in church life. Church membership. What does it mean to be a member? In our non-committal society, and, and I, I see the faces already, in a non-committal society, there's a sense of going, I don't know, I kind of like the benefits of being a part of a church but not necessarily the responsibilities that come along with that. And if I were to tell you this morning um, that, that my heart's desire, if I didn't believe that, that church membership is implied in Scripture and that it's clearly seen that we are to belong to a local family, I too, in my individualistic ways, would say, yeah, let's, let's not do that. But there's a reason and there's a purpose in why God organizes us as a local family, and that's what we're going to describe today. And that's really the reality of what we're talking about. What does it mean to be a local church family? How do we organize ourselves in a way for the most fruitfulness, for the growth of individuals within our family, and to mobilize mission in our city? How do we ad adequately care for a group of people. And whether you like have some sits of formal membership, every church has a membership. There's, a, there's an understanding, and sometimes those lines aren't very clear, but there is some type of understanding who's a part of us and who's not. And, and there's people even here today who walked in and, and they're checking us out in some ways. They're, they're, they're dating us and, and saying, hey, is this something that I want to plant myself long term? But within a family, we all have responsibilities. And so there is a, a dating, but as we grow into a family, a family takes on a sense of responsibility. Here's what I want you to know. In my family, the Bindle family, at our house, my kids don't also always understand that there are responsibilities of being a family member in the Bindle family. And in many ways, they say, hey, those responsibilities are on mom and dad. In the same way, there, there's a church family. There's, there's a sense in which responsibilities are maybe put on pastors, leaders, small group leaders, anyone who serves, that that responsibility is on them. When in reality, when God describes a family, a church family, there's a sense of where we uh, collectively, we, we take on responsibility for the church. And in some ways, in my family, 
There, there's many things that happened organically. I remember when Amber and I first got married, uh, there was no question whether or not who was going to go out and mow the grass. All right? That, that was mine. I, that, I was given that task. That was my responsibility. And, and it was in some ways very organic. But as our family grew, I remember meeting with a family very, very early on and, and going, hey, we, we took on some little ones in our family. So I'm responsible for the grass, uh, but what about bathing this kid? All right, like kids get dirty. And, you know, and, and we're starting to wrestle and we're starting to figure out, and there, there's a way for our family to function, for our family to be healthy. We need to understand what roles and responsibilities and how are we, my wife and I, how are we going to serve one another? How are we going to serve our kids? What responsibilities they have within the family? And then I would also say that my responsibility to my kids is different than responsibility I have with other kids. So Josh and Jen Op, they're, Josh is an elder here at our church. They live nearby. We love their kids. Caden, Didi, Maymay, they, they love me sometimes. And there is a greater responsibility with those children under my roof than the responsibility I share with kids outside of my home. There is a responsibility and care. In the same way, there is a, there's a, a greater responsibility to shepherd, love, care, teach, discipline, and encourage those who call Ecclesia their home, who they're a part of this family. So to give a definition, maybe out of the gates, Jonathan Lehman, who's with Nine Marks, says, church membership is a formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of Christian discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. That's a great definition, but it's a lot of words. It's real wordy. Here's what it means. It's about the church taking responsibility for you and you taking responsibility for the church. That's what it is. And who does that? How do we identify those people? What is the purposes of that? And that's what we're going to get at today. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. The question is, when we look at this text, Hebrews 13, 17, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, we see that there are leaders that you're called to submit to. Who are those leaders? The group of people that this was written to, they're, they're called to obey leaders and submit to them. Are you to submit to every leader? Are you submit to submit to every type of uh, church leadership across the board? Are, are, who is it that, that you're to submit to? And then there's a group of people that leaders within the church that they're called and given the task and responsibility to care for that they're keeping watch over your souls, that they're going to give an account one day for how they kept watch over your souls. And so, who is it? How do we draw those lines of who is it that me as a pastor, if I just talk about myself, who is it that I'm responsible for? I remember being uh, at a church in Dallas, Texas, 
And when I was there, I was a high school pastor, and I had about a thousand students, high school students, grades 7 through 12, I had a thousand students in my ministry. I reached out to over 40 high schools across Dallas-Fort Worth, and I remember being there, and I'm like, how do I practically wrap my arms around, like, who is it that I'm caring for? And that was a really big challenge for me. Because it was, it was my desire as a pastor, I desired to be faithful with the calling that God has placed on my life. That there would be a group of people that I was responsible for. There was a group of people that I would give an account for. There would be a group of people that I'm to oversee the care of their souls. And that's a, a weighty responsibility. And, and I just remember being there and I was like, I just can't visually picture who it is that I'm to care for. And I remember my desire was to be within a system, within a structure, within a church where I could tangibly go, all right, these are my people. These are the people that I'm to care for, that I'm to serve, that I'm to love, that I'm to protect, that I'm to encourage, that I'm to walk with, that I am provided as someone who, as an under-shepherd, we all have a good shepherd, but as an under-shepherd to care for the soul of the flock. And so there's this, this picture, there's this responsibility, and, and when we thought about that, even as a church, that's why we took eldership with, with huge responsibility and weightiness. We want elders that we as a church can trust. We want elders who have a heart and a passion to take care of God's family. We want elders who consider the weightiness and responsibility in caring for God's children. And so, that was our desire. And so, you can see as a church that, that, that hopefully in the next few moments as we describe this idea of membership and really what it means to be a local family, I want, I want to get into where do we see this in Scripture and where is this implied? And, and I believe there's lots of evidence all across the New Testament where this idea of being a local family would be denied or even minimized if, if we didn't actually practice some type of a formal membership, some type of covenant agreement where we come into relationship, where we identify being in relationship with one another. And so I want to walk through some scriptural evidence, and as we've done the last few weeks, where does the Bible make this a priority? Where does the Bible prioritize membership as a biblical practice? And then we're going to talk about purposes, and, and our heart and our desire in this, and I hope you're going to see, and, and I just want to say it out of the gates here, it's, we're not trying to create a roster. I've been a part of churches before where there's like 10,000 members on their roster and, you know, 100 people show up. It's not, it, there's, there's no game in this other than we want to be faithful and obedient to God, and, and we want to glorify Him by caring for His church well, and we just need to know who's in our church, who's with us, who's a part of the family that we care for, and then ultimately get to what is the purpose of the family? What does the Bible say why is it that he organizes us in these local families? What is it that we're called to do? And there's one big overarching reason that I'll get to. And then who is church membership for? And then how do we posture and practice that here at Ecclesia? So that's where we're going. All right, lots of scripture. You ready? I already talked about the first one. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 1 Thessalonians 5, 
12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Who is it that you're to respect? Who is it that's over you in the Lord and admonishes you? Who is it that these? So the Bible displays, it gives us these clear that, that there is an accountability to a certain group of leadership. Who is that? And, and that's where, where we're going to define is that helps us understand some roles and responsibility. Who is it that serves that role? But not only is there a responsibility from the church to the leaders, there's also a responsibility from the leaders to the church. We need to know. So we read in Acts 20, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so this text simply just describes that there is a group of people, a flock of people that you're responsible to that you're responsible for, and you're to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so it, it shows even that level of care, of going, he purchased these people, and we're to care for them, we're to be attentive. First Peter 5 that we looked at when we walked through our series on First Peter, it says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And so we see in this text that there is a, a picture of that, that we're to have an idea of who that is. Is it, is it just anyone and everyone? Is it, is it anyone who walked through the door this morning that, that we're responsible for, that, that we're to provide care for? There's, there's some sense of, of, of going, who is it that we're to provide that type of care? We see in Matthew chapter 18, the, the, uh, the picture of what it means to practice church discipline. And again, that's another scary word. And we think about a lot of times uh, we want to lean away from church membership because it means that someone is providing oversight, which means someone has the ability and I'm inviting people the ability to speak into my life. And while that's great in so many ways, that's scary in so many ways, Right? And so with church discipline, we read in Matthew chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Which church? Which people? Which group? And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so there was a sense of, like, there is a removal as, as a tax collector, as a Gentile. There was a picture of, like, there's a removal from a local body. And if you're no longer in, what does it actually mean to be in? If you're to be set out, who is it that you're set out from? It's a great text. We see uh, the several texts of Scripture that describe a list of people, that there's a record of people. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul speaking here about the church and, and experiencing sin. He says, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. How do you have a majority if you don't know the whole? How do you know the majority if you don't have a picture? If we were to say the majority of our church, the only way we can adequately define the majority of our church is we know how to define who is our church. In Acts chapter 15 verse 22, it says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders 
with the whole church. How did they know the whole church was there if that's not defined? In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. And they're talking about how do we care for them? And so there's a sense of enrollment. There's a sense of wanting to have a list of who it is that we're to care for. Verse 11, But refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. There's a picture of like who it is that we're to care for, who it is that we're responsible for. We also see in many scriptures where it describes so many different metaphors. It, it uses the term family. It uses the term of being a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for just as the body is one and many members are all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. And so it's like there's this joining together. We see all of this. And so we don't have to call it church membership, but there is a picture of going, there, there's, a, there's a, a picture throughout Scripture that there is an understanding of who it is that we care for, it's an understanding of who it is the church is to submit to, to look to, to be led by. There is a, there's a picture and understanding that we're called to be a family. There's a picture that we are described as a body, that we're many members, but we're, we're made to be brought together. And so we, we have all of these, and we go, how do we be faithful to that? How do we live that out? And we describe that in, in some ways and, and, and through some formal process of going, how do we engage? How do we step forward in that type of relationship? And how do we know we're in that type of relationship? So let's talk about the purposes. What are the purposes of membership in church life? The first one I would say and again, I'm going to move to the overarching purpose that all of these serve. But one is to create a place of belonging. There is no such thing as an individual Christian in the New Testament. There is no description, there is no idea to be a Christian and to be isolated, island, very individualized is not a picture that the New Testament paints at all. And that's why we just described it as a body, as a people, as people, living stones coming together. You're not supposed to navigate life alone. And so God has given us a family. And what a blessing. I, I think about the, the, the text, even in Ephesians chapter 1, talking about being adopted. We've been brought into a family. God is our Father, and as a family... There are great privileges of what it means to be in a family, that we, that we have people to do life together with. And the benefit of this that we see is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 14 through 26. It says, for the body does not consist of one member. It's not one person, but of many and if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, would there 
be a sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, would there be a sense of smell? God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And I love this picture of going like, none of us can say to this one part that you don't belong, that we don't need you. As a body, we need all parts of the body. We need all gifts. And so there's this picture in this text that does God care about the individual? Absolutely. Does God place in an individual individual gifting and talents and abilities and experiences? Absolutely. But it's for the purpose of the body. It's for the benefit and mutual benefit of the body, the coming together, that, that this is a place where you get to belong, where those gifts get to be used in service to one another. So when we think about this idea, it's, it's a place of belonging. There's not a single person that we could look to that we say, we don't need you. We don't have need for your gifting. We absolutely need you. We need your gifting. We need your voice. We need your eyes. We need your insight, your hearing. There's a sense as we as a church need the body. As a people, we make up the body of Christ. Here's what it is. Justin Bindel, in case you're confused, is not Jesus. Praise the Lord. Jesus' body is made up of us. We are the body. We represent to the world what Jesus is like. And so we are his body, and this is a place of belonging for you to come, to utilize the gifting that you have, and to serve. I remember uh, being in junior high, I was trying to remember where I was going with this illustration because it's a weird one. I, there was this girl, and I saw this girl, like, she beat up other dudes in, in school. Like, she was, she was pretty intimidating, all right? And uh, I was a scrawny, you know, 85 pounds when I was in junior high, you know. And uh, this girl went around, and, and she said, that's my boyfriend, okay? They're, they're, it's like, we're in relationship together. Now, I already had a girlfriend, but that didn't really matter, and she didn't really care. And, uh, and so she told everyone I was her boyfriend. And there's a sense in which, like, it would have been nice for me to know that initially. And uh, it would have been nice for me to get a choice in that. And, and there's a sense of going, like, I don't really want to be in relationship with you. And that's sometimes a picture within the church. I think a lot of times we say, we want it to be a place of belonging. And there's people who come and they go, I want to belong. And there's other people who we would say, we think they belong, but they're like, I don't want to belong with you. And that's the sense of going, we don't want you to make, like, we don't want to make you our boyfriend if you don't want to be our boyfriend. All right? That's the example. I told you it was a weird illustration, right? And so some of you who came, it's like, you're not automatically a part of our church when you walk in the back door. And that's to your benefit, right? Because you're like, 
I don't know if I want to identify with these folks. Given, we want to give you time and, and willingness to go like, hey, do I trust these people? Do I want to join myself to this family? There's a sense of going, I, I want to belong, but I don't know if I want to belong with them. It's great to have a boyfriend. It's great to have a girlfriend. We want to choose who that is that is our boyfriend and girlfriend, right? And so this is that picture of going, that we need some clarity around that. But it is a place of belonging. Second thing I would say is to clearly define roles and responsibilities. To clearly define roles and responsibilities. One of the roles that I get to serve in our Acts 29 network of churches, and one of the things that they just ramped up as a network, is they broke down pastoral care amongst our pastors. There, there's over 500 churches in the United States, and they just broke down our 500 churches across the United States into some regions to where we can provide pastoral care for pastors. One of the things that we look back on the last year is, this last year was not only brutal on like the church as a whole, but it was brutal on pastors. And we've seen a lot of pastors struggle, the weightiness that, that pastors felt in, in trying to adequately care for people this last year, and for pastors not to have people to care for them, it, it was a need. And so our network of churches said, we want to make sure that every pastor is cared for. And so what they did is they said, we're going to create a pastoral care network. And they're like, Justin, we want you to be over this certain region to provide care for these group of pastors, that you are there to provide care, support, encouragement, whatever they need. And I think that's awesome because otherwise we would hope and we would pray and we would wish and desire that that would be done. And we would hope that that would be done organically amongst our pastors and amongst our churches, but it doesn't always happen. This is an intentional way, an organized way in which, one, for me to know who it is in the Acts 29 network that I'm supposed to care for. Who are the pastors that I'm to look to and, and make sure, hey, how are you doing? Who am I supposed to ask questions of? And it, and it gives me very clear guidelines and roles and responsibilities with a certain group of pastors. And I think that's one of the benefits of church membership. We have to ask who is it that we're committed to? Who is it that we're to care for? And what are the, the roles and responsibilities that each of us are to serve? If we're to be faithful in what the Bible teaches, we need to know who it is that we're to care for. So I would say that's one of the purposes. Third thing is to provide freedom and relationship. Now, a lot of us, again, Non-committal. We'll talk about marriage in the sense like it's like we don't have to go. We don't have to get married. We don't have to go through a formal ceremony to do so. I honestly like. Let's just say that we're married, and that that'll be great. Like there's there doesn't have to be any type of formal commitment. There doesn't have to be going forward in front of a church, in front of a people. It's just like hey, you do, I do. We're good, right? And any of us who have operated in that type of relationship realize that there's a lot of fear in that type of relationship. There's fear in that type of relationship because there is no covenant. There is no commitment to one another. It's like easy in, easy out. And there's a sense of going, we desire and long and we see in Scripture that there is a covenantal relationship in a church family. That there is a relationship of going like, I'm going to stick with you. And I can't tell you as, as one, if I can just be vulnerable and honest, like as a pastor, I would love to know like, who's with me? 
Like, you show up, you come in on Sunday mornings, but I hear all the time, it's like, ah, we didn't like this in this church, so we took off and we went to this church. And we, and we were at that church and we took off in that church. And it's like, I don't know, is that your heart? Is that your desire? We have no firm commitment in relationship to one another. There is no knitting together of our lives. And because of that, I'm always going to be on edge around you. You're always going to be on edge around me. And we're going to live in fear of one another rather than living in open authenticity, which God calls us to live. There is freedom that comes in going, I'm going to stick with you. There's freedom in coming and knowing of going, hey, there's, you're not like pulling like anything over me here. Like I get that you, point at you, are all flawed individuals. And then you can turn and point at me and you go, I get that you are a flawed pastor. And there's brokenness in all of our lives. And guess what? Because you reveal that, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm not running from you. And I'm, it's not that you fooled me into believing that you're somebody you're not. If the Bible is true and the gospel is true and we all need the gospel and we need a savior, it means we're all broken. And we need a covenantal relationship to go like, we want to fight for truth for one another, that we want to join together in covenant relationship with one another so that you can live in freedom and not fear. I love in 1 Samuel chapter 18, I see this picture of covenant. Picture of David and Jonathan. It says, as soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. It's like, If you love someone, make a covenant with them. There's a sense in which, like with my friends, and honestly with church planning in in Utah, people always ask like, hey, are you going to be here next week? Is this church going to exist in a year from now? And what I want you to hear us say is that, and, and we say it all to our friends, and I joke, I'm like, oh, you know, maybe, we'll, you know, we'll move back to Texas. We'll move back. It's like, man, that there's no freedom in that type of relationship. It's going, are you committed? Are you going to stay no matter what? And that's our desire and that's our heart of going like, we want to covenant together of going, we're in this together. We're doing this as a family. I love this picture of, of knitting together Uh, You read in Colossians chapter 2, 1 and 2, for I want you to know the great struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding the knowledge of God's mystery. That's a picture. We want that type of knitting. I love in the, in the, the book of Nehemiah, it talks about the wall was joined together. And that is the, the joining together of the wall was the same word used in knitting together Jonathan and David's heart. And it's this picture of building a wall so tightly that nothing can penetrate it. And that's the the picture and that's the desire of what we long for our church, that we would be knitted together and that that would provide freedom in 
relationship. One of the things that we see in that is the formality of covenantal relationship increases relational intimacy. And that's what we desire. We want to be in formal relationship with you so that we can have that type of knitting together. The next thing I would say is purpose is to partner with each other for the advancement of the gospel in our lives. Hebrews 3, I quote it all the time. It's one of my favorite passages, and it's one of my, honestly, things that that I need and desire in my own life. And one of the things, particularly for men, that I desire for men to walk in. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 13, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I've said year and year and year after year, if we don't have people to walk alongside us, to encourage us, to exhort us, to recognize areas of our life where they see visibly a hardening to the deceitfulness of sin because it is a hardening. It doesn't happen overnight. It's slowly, and there is a joining together that is required that you live life with each other in a certain way that you can actually visibly see that hardening, that you see people falling away, and because of it, there's someone to go after them. That's our desire, to fight for the gospel in each other's lives. I remember being with a guy in our church, and we were talking about church membership, and literally I was like, I wish it was as simple as this, but he's like, so you're just saying like, when you see me falling away, you're going to come after me? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, that sounds awesome. I was like, yeah. I know, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Because none of us want to go into a place where our heart does become hardened, that we fall away from the living God, that we want brothers and sisters to come after us. But here's what I would say. The grand purpose in all of these things is not just so you belong, is not just so that you have freedom in relationship, it's not just so that we have clear expectations of who it is that we're to care for and responsibility for, and it's not just for the advancement of the gospel in your life. It's not so individual like that. But all of those things serve a greater purpose. Your being free in relationship, your sense of belonging as a part of a family, your sense of relational intimacy and having gospel truths poured into your life is for one greater goal. And that's to partner with each other for the advancement of the gospel throughout the world. God's whole desire 
in creating a family, in creating a body. It tells us in Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, if we look at Ephesians, and, and we've done this, Ephesians one of my favorite books of the Bible. We go back, and Ephesians 1 says all the things we have in Christ, all the blessings we have in Christ. And then Ephesians chapter 2 talks a lot about the individual saving grace of, of God the Father that comes into a life, and but God being rich in mercy transforms our lives. And then the end, which we covered four or five weeks ago on the family, we talked about that we're being built together, that he's building us into a family, that he's reconciled us to one another, he's reconciled us to God, and he's building a family that we would be a holy temple. And then it gets to Ephesians 3.10, so that through the manifold wisdom of God, that, that, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. He does that through us, through the church, through the body of Christ, that we as a church help advance the kingdom, that we as a body, the way in which we interact and utilize our gifting together as the church, as a committed family, as a covenanted family together, that we reveal to the world the manifold wisdom of God, that we push back darkness as the church. And that's our grand purpose. Why? Ephesians chapter 3, 14 says this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Our desire and our longing to see the manifold wisdom of God is that every person would bow before the Father as Father. That's our desire. And the way we do that is through our local church family. We represent to the world Jesus. John Piper says this, God aims to fill the universe with the glory of his son Jesus by making the church the showcase of his perfections, which seems crazy because if any of us have been in a church long enough, we know it's pretty broken. But he fills the universe with the glory of his son by making the church the showcase of his perfections. Or to put it another way, to include this idea of body, God means to fill the universe with the glory of his son by putting the church on display as the embodiment of his son. Christ fills the universe with his glory by showing the universe his body, the church how he chose her, how he destined her, how he came for her, how he taught her, how he suffered for her, how he died for her, how he rose for her, how he reigns for her, how he called for her, how he justified her, how he cleansed her, how he kept her, how he raised her, how he will glorify her, and how he will satisfy her forever and ever with himself. That's what he's displaying through us. 
That's what we get to be a part of. It's amazing. So who gets to participate in that? Those who are part of the body of Christ. If you were to go on our website, you would see that there are statements of faith. And obviously, this is in a, in a desire to align people, that it's a desire to call people, that these are the foundational truths that we hold to. These are the things that make us family. And they're secondary issues. And these are the things that we hold to, but you don't necessarily have to hold to them to be a part of our family. And that's where it's important for us to say, like, what is the main thing that unites us? What is the main thing that we're coming together for? What is the main thing that draws us together that we're united with? And if you're wondering what those are, I would encourage you to go and check those out. People who are part of our family are are people who desire and long to be the body that demonstrates to the world what God is like. It's a people that take responsibility of being a member and a family member of Ecclesia seriously. That they see that the church does not exist to serve them, but they exist to serve the church. A people who trust their pastors and their, their leaders, and that requires time. Which is why it, we're going, it's totally okay to walk in the back door and hang out with us for several weeks before deciding, hey, this is my family. Because we want there to be trust because we've seen so often in church leadership that that trust has been broken or it has been abused. To be a part of the church family, we see it's, a, it's a, for people who desire to be the church God has called them to be, to, to serve, love, and care for the body. And a people that desire to make much of God by building His kingdom through His body. And so what's our posture? And how are we going to practice this? Well, in the fall, we're going to lay out, and if you've been with us for any length of time, you're like, haven't we talked about this before? Yeah. And you know why we didn't do a great job of carrying that out before? It's because there was only a few elders, and we believed that we honestly couldn't carry out the responsibility on our end with the few elders that we had. And a lot of times we fell short of doing and holding up our end of what it means to adequately care for the flock. And we believe that we're in a place where we can do that well. And we believe that we are doing that well. And in areas where we're not doing that well, we would love to know because we would desire to do that well. And so our heart and our desire and our posture is, is that first and foremost, that we would be submissive to God first. When we covered 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 5, we read this passage that I covered earlier. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's our desire. That's our responsibility. That's our posture. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, 
you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We all work. We're all under the submission of the chief shepherd. And that's first and foremost who we're submitted to. But verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's our calling as the church. And I'm part of that as the church. That's our calling and responsibility and our posture to leaders. I'm submissive to our elders. I'm in submission to the leadership within our church in the same way that you are. And so our desire in all of this is this. We desire to agree to oversee one another's discipleship in Christ. We want to help each other grow to maturity so that we can be a part of advancing the kingdom of God as the body of Christ in our city. That's our desire. That's our heart. That's our prayer. That's our hope. And we ask that you'll join us in that. As a way of maybe responding this morning, I just would ask you, when's the last time you just paused, looked around the room, and praised God for the family that he's given you? There's some of you who are sitting next to blood family, There's some of you who haven't been with blood family in years. There's some of you who have experienced the unconditional love and affection and care from a family in this body, maybe more than you've ever experienced in your blood family. I want you to know that there's there's many of you who, that we've experienced that type of love. We're thankful to have our in-laws and brother and sister-in-law live here in the city. But for the longest time, it was, it was us and our church family. And I can't tell you what a joy and what a gift it has been to journey with you. And we just want to invite others into that. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled by the fact that you would use us in such an extreme way to think that through this broken body you would push back darkness and build your kingdom. It's unfathomable. But we long to be a part of that. Long we, Lord, we desire and long to be a picture of what it means to be this family. I think even as I started the message of just talking about how we've, we've moved, and I think that's a great, even just rejoicing of going like, the family moves together, and that's beautiful. And so, Lord, I thank you for what you've done here. In many ways, this isn't a, a sermon or in, in, in hopes that I, I want to build this, this already exists. It's already here. It's already experienced in real and tangible ways. And because of that, I praise you and I thank you. And, and honestly, this is just a moment for us to respond with thanksgiving of how we get to live in that. And so, Lord, we 
desire and long to more fully understand what it means to represent your body here in Salt Lake City and beyond. Lord, help us, guide us. Amen.